0: All right. Wonderful. Good. Uh, Well, welcome, everybody. And um, so I'm sorry in the sense of
1: regret that you can't all be here, but sorry in the sense of regret only because it ain't my fault. It's the Texas weather, right? I I was promised, as I was saying to the Vrezos who are sitting here with me, I was promised 300 and something days a year of clear blue skies and never rains. And here, here we are in Texas, where the weather can change pretty rapidly so um i'm i'm kind of glad for your sake that you didn't uh, make the decision to drive all the way out here uh, risking a storm at the moment it's just kind of cloudy skies there's nothing i don't know what's going to happen later we'll probably find like tornado sweeps through at 8 30 when we're all trying to drive home but um anyway a warm welcome to you now um this is going to be a bit different from normal obviously just so you know who's here we've got um three twelfths of the razo family <laughs> mrs razo in providence and loyal great to see you here and um Ms. Duke over here on my right i don't think you can see any of them because i've kind of aligned the camera so that they don't feel self-conscious but um here's what i'm going to suggest in a moment we will pray but just before we do that um sort of practical things look i know that some of you guys uh when you tune in you tune in every week just uh you're listening uh on zoom and maybe you're actually doing other stuff in the background and you don't want to turn your picture on because you don't want anybody to see you in your pajamas doing the washing up or whatever it is so um, i'm not gonna insist please 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 or put your pictures on because then the half of you who don't want to will feel all self-conscious so if you if you're doing other things and you just don't want we don't really need to see pictures of random things if you don't want to uh have your picture on that's completely fine but here's what i do want to do um those of you who are um sitting down and planning, you know, you want to get the most out of the Bible study in the way that you normally do, and I want to encourage you to do that. Please, why not put your picture on so I can see you, and then I can I know that we're interacting, and I can ask you questions. And it, honestly, if that's just one or two of you, that's fine. If it's none of you, that's fine. Hey, Annika, um, uh, and if it's none of you, then I'm just going to talk to the people here. Okay, so if if it, if you just all turn your pictures off, then I'm going to ignore you completely. Um, so don't do that. That's better, Mr. Barnes. Good to see. You. Hey um so um we will just try and do this in the kind of normal sort of way i've got some stuff i want to say some things i want to pick up from our uh, where we got to last week and we'll we're going to be using the same handout which i hope you all have if you don't have um then you can find it just by email uh, looking at last week but to be honest it's really quite simple we're just looking at two passages genesis 17 and genesis 22 and i've got a bunch more detail that we can go into with a few other uh, cross references which will then make some connections to uh, other parts of scripture so hopefully that'll be uh, fun and exciting and we'll open our eyes to things we've not seen before Um, so if that makes sense for everybody uh, i will lead us in prayer and then we will just get started so if you're ready let's pray merciful father we are grateful to you for one another thank you for this technology that allows us to communicate at least partially, even uh, while uh, the threatened weather conditions make travel a bit more tricky than it might normally be. We pray that you'd bless us richly as we have your word open before us. We're thankful to you for the Bible and for its richness and depth and for the completeness of the story it tells of your work throughout human history. And we ask that you'd continue to open our eyes to new aspects of what you're doing in us and in the church and what you've done in christ and what you're doing in the world so that we may understand uh, your relationship to us and your relationship to our future and be better equipped to live lives of faithfulness in the present we pray in jesus name amen
0: all right so um just a recap to start us off with let me just talk this on. um just a recap to start with um We are thinking about the subject of eschatology,
1: which means the Christian doctrine of history. And history is best understood as God's unfolding of a series of successive stages in his relationship with his people. Those Unfolding stages of relationship are sometimes called covenants, and you know that a covenant is just a particular kind of relationship. It's a relationship that's more formally defined than just a friendship. It has well-defined expectations and boundaries and promises from both sides often about what we will do for each other. Uh, It has sanctions built in for failure to do those things. Uh, and uh, in reality such relationships are also more significant for us as well in lots of ways and so the the best illustration I can think of of marriage of a covenant is marriage and of course marriage is a relationship in which husband and wife make very very far-reaching commitments to each other they make promises uh, they give themselves to each other there certainly are uh, sanctions and ought to be sanctions, very serious sanctions for failure to fulfill those obligations to each other. And through that relationship, great blessing is promised to husbands and wives who live faithfully together. Also, well, it is with our relationship with the Lord. So, you can think of that the relationship between God and his people as a relationship, a bit like the relationship of marriage that unfolds over literally thousands of years from Adam onwards. In fact, it's no accident that the relationship between the Lord and His people is actually depicted at some points as a marriage. This is—you've—you've seen like in Ephesians five and so on, um, Christ and the church, and husband and wife put in parallel, right? You're familiar with that illustration, and here is us thinking, oh, it's just a convenient illustration to help us to understand what marriage is like. Marriage is a bit like Christ and the church. Well, no, it's much more than that. Both Christ, church, and husband-wife relationships are covenant relationships and that's why they can be compared in the way that Paul does in Ephesians 5.
0: So what we did after a couple of introductory uh, sessions is we began
1: looking at God's relationship with people in the days of Adam and then we moved on to Noah, and what you started to see in the age of Noah was some commonality, some sameness, continuity, we might say, but also some development. And obviously, you're going to get development, just as the relationship between husbands and wives uh, develop as they grow, uh, parents and their children, that relationship develops as the children grow up. That's actually a really good illustration, the, the parent-child relationship is a great illustration of our relationship with our father Adam is like the infant humanity and what happens is that he grows up and is given more responsibility uh, more privileges and the story of scripture then is the story of those privileges being progressively unfolded throughout a series of covenantal eras. so you're getting the picture of it and then what we're able to do if we just follow that all the way through to Christ and beyond we can then understand well where's God going in our future and that's what people normally think of when they think of eschatology. So we went Adam, Noah, then we went Abraham, and predictably, perhaps, I should have known this, Abraham took, well, roughly twice as long, probably, as I thought it would. Um, And I wanted to point you last week to four passages. We got through two of them. uh, Genesis 12, Genesis 15. We didn't get to Genesis 17 and Genesis 21. And these are significant moments in how God explains to abraham look this is how my relationship is going to work with you and actually with your offspring as well so you remember genesis 12 there was a threefold promise Uh, i'm going to come to one of you zoomers come on somebody be brave hit that space bar or whatever button it is on your phone who can remember the three aspects of the promise that god made to abraham in genesis 12 is that melody clackhorn waving by the way yeah hey melody um uh mr trueblood uh you just waved that was a mistake i've
0: got you now so three three elements of the promise sir you need to hit the space bar can't hear you no it still can't hear you You're still muted ah, here we go now bar? i'm on, on you. land right. people and blessing Would right that be?
1: Land, people blessing if you've, 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 you've got the handout you've probably got that in front of you um, you're right
0: yeah
1: <laughs> it's on the <laughs> handout
0: excellent so, We're so
1: think of it in this covenantal framework what what god is doing is he's saying look um the world was wonderful in the days of adam then adam and eve went and messed it up um really badly so it went downhill so far and so fast that we needed a new creation in the days of noah and that was a kind of partial fix but not a complete fix because the world is still filled with sin and rebellion and the sin and rebellion reaches its climax in genesis 11 so what's god going to do it's like i've got a i've got a plan don't worry i've got a plan and the plan is this time we're not going to destroy the world and start over what we're going to do we've got this huge mass of humanity growing across the world we're going to pick one guy in the middle so to speak and we see, we're going to see if we can't begin with him and from his descendants his offspring build a community of people who are enjoying this unfolding covenant relationship with god are you with me so what we need to do is that they need somewhere to live. They can have a land where I'm going to meet with them. The Lord's going to meet with them. Many people, um, he promised uh, Abraham many descendants, Genesis 12. And he blessed them. And his blessing will take the form of his presence and his word and the opportunity to worship him and so on. And that blessing was for the whole world. So you can all remember, here's a little drawing. There's a little thing. You remember that? In the gray box. Um, land, people, blessing for the world. And it is no exaggeration. To say that certainly the whole of the rest of the Old Testament, and in fact, as we'll see today, the whole of the rest of the Bible is the story of the progressive unfolding and fulfillment of those or that threefold promise. Genesis 12, 1 to 3 is one of the most important texts in the whole Bible. Now, then we saw that um, unfolded uh, initially through the rest of the Pentateuch, and I won't Go through that in detail but you saw the land people and blessing promises partially fulfilled let's say in the first five books of the bible so by the time you get into the sixth book of the bible um, you've got many people uh, they've just entered the land in the days of joshua and god is present with them they have the tabernacle the locus of god's uh, presence where he may be worshipped and right there in Joshua chapter 2 you've got Rahab who is a representative of the world being welcomed in to the community of the people of God and so you, you can start to see how it looks like it's it's kind of working according to plan and uh, back in Genesis um, you, you get uh, three more texts which uh, elucidate various aspects of how this Covenant relationship is going to unfold. And the one we did have time to look at was in Genesis 15. So turn with me to Genesis 15
0: if you've got it in front of you got your Bibles. And um you remember uh Abraham is really troubled because he's old, he's 80 something, and um he's got no kids. He's either 80 something or 75,
1: I forget which. He's 86 at the end of chapter 16. I think he's the same age, roughly maybe 85 in chapter 15 he's got no children and he's thinking well this slave of mine this servant Eliezer of Damascus is going to be my heir where, where I thought this the seed that my, the the descendants were going to come from me and the Lord says yeah they are don't worry um go out and look at the stars you're going to have as many offspring as that uh, and so that highlights a new and significant element to the covenant relationship that god is establishing with his people you're going to have to learn to trust the lord even when all the evidence of your eyes is pointing in the opposite direction it's quite hard to be 80 something years old we told you're going to have children and to believe that that's actually going to happen and we will see this again and again in uh in fact you've, you've seen it already uh, in your own life uh, and you've if you think about it you see it in scripture as well There are sometimes crucial moments where we know we're called to trust just as we're always called to trust, but it's particularly difficult to trust here. Like, what's God doing now? Think of there may be circumstances in your life that you can call to mind even now that where it's like, this is not what I would have planned. And this actually looks like a horrible situation. I can't
0: think how any good is going to come out of this. But you know that you're called to trust the Lord. Um, So that's what you do. And uh, Abraham is the father of the faithful in in that sense. Um,
1: So that's um, Genesis 15, 1-6. We did mention briefly the strange ritual that uh, the Lord... Displays before Abraham and has Abraham participate in in the middle of chapter 15 and then towards the end of chapter 15, where to cut a long story short, and this really is a long story, uh, this covenant ritual, like all sacrificial rituals and all covenant rituals, is an enactment of either the blessings that are attendant on obedience and faithfulness or the curses that will follow for disobedience. And unfaithfulness we could take a huge long excursus here into the um the book of leviticus and the book of exodus and just look at the sacrificial rituals especially in the book of uh, leviticus and and we could start to see how what's actually happening in those rituals is an enactment of covenant blessings and covenant curses
0: Uh, that's basically what those rituals are Uh, and so they are a a way of uh,
1: displaying in our actions the fact that we believe the promises of the covenant. Uh, To give you a a contemporary example, baptism is a covenant ritual of this kind. When we take a person or a a baby or an adult and a pastor uh, pours water on them in baptism, we are performing a ritual which is a symbol of the blessing that is attendant upon their participation in that relationship they're one with christ now they're clothed in christ so they're washed they're purified how do we show that we believe that christ by his spirit is purifying these this person and cleansing them of their sins and granting them forgiveness well we do it with water the water just washes a bit of muck off their head if they came to the church dirty and of course we live in an age where everyone has a shower every day if they want to. But in most of world history, you didn't get a shower every day. Um, and actually, the baptismal water would make a significant difference probably to how clean you looked. Um uh, well, the what we're displaying in that ritual what we believe about the relationship. And God is displaying to us what is true about that relationship. Same in the Lord's Supper. God says, I'm going to feed you on Jesus. How do we profess our faith in that claim? Well, we eat. And as we're eating, we're displaying the faith. You see what I'm saying? We're displaying that faith on account of which we receive the blessings symbolized in the ritual. So it's actually a really, really deep and significant um, connection between rituals and what they symbolize. Um of course, you could have a ritual that worked the other way. You could have a ritual that said, If I don't keep this, this is what's going to happen to me. And this that, that's actually what's going on in Genesis 15, probably. Um, uh, normally, what would happen is that a conquered king would invoke upon himself curses this is what's going to happen to me if I don't pay my taxes to the conquering king, say. Um, and he'd chop an animal in half, say, and like. Which is a warning to him. This is what what the big king is going to do to the little king if you don't pay the taxes. Well, here what happens is that God, so to speak, walks through the torn apart portions of the animals, as though God is saying, "If I don't keep the promise I've just made to make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, I'm going to be torn into pieces." And God can't be torn into pieces.
0: So he's absolutely committed to. If God can't be torn into pieces, which he can't,
1: then God is going to keep this promise. So that takes us to the end of Genesis 15. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff we could talk about there. But let me pause. And then are there any questions at this stage? Just And this really is picking up from last week. And then we're going to head off into Genesis 17. Any questions about any of that stuff? By the way, I love your names. Cellular Nan. What's that? <laughs> and there's E. I don't know who E is. That could be Pastor Neil because he's not anywhere else on here um cindy Sanjanito has managed to get rid of her name completely i don't know how she's done that um but she got it at the bottom anyway so any questions how about you guys here anything you want to throw in yeah okay that's that's all kind of revision i know that so that's fine pastor shaw's leaning forward like you might be about to throw something in you want to say something jeff Are you okay all right great all right so what i want to do now then is think okay is, is that everything that god tells abraham about this new era of his relationship with god the answer is no genesis 17 and genesis 22
0: contain two more uh episodes which flesh out
1: more aspects of what this relationship is going to involve and we're going to look at them one at a time genesis 17 really contributes uh three distinct elements and i I listed these on the handout from last time first is it highlights again the many nations element of the promise this is not just for you abe it's for many nations second it highlights and gives more depth to the promise to abraham's offspring and then it uh, describes another sign Which is a sign that is to be repeated. Previously, you've had a covenant sign that Abraham witnessed in Genesis 15. Well, there is a long term to be repeated covenant sign that Abraham highlighted, that is highlighted for Abraham in Genesis 17. So let's look at this. We'll just walk through it. You got Genesis 17? Yeah, we've got a few nods. Thank you, Mr. Barnes. (laughs) All right. So when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Okay, just think for a second. He was 86. When God said to him, or or at least younger than 86, probably 85 or or younger, 85 or younger, when God said, I am going to give you children. Um, In Genesis 16, um, he has a a child through Hagar. It becomes clear that this isn't the child of the promise. So what, 14 years have passed since God said, I'm going to give you many children from your own body. And still no sign. He's 99 years old. I know it takes us about two minutes to read those chapters. It took Abraham 14 years to get through them. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. That I might make my
0: covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So next time you think God is being a bit slow in fulfilling his promise, god is not slow as some count slowness Um, god has literally all the time in the world and you can
1: imagine in your thoughtful moments many reasons why the lord might take his time to do things i don't know what he needed to teach abraham in those 14 years but he had his reasons and so he did then abraham fell on his face and god said to him behold My covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Verse six, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. So let's just think about that for a second. This is the famous name change moment you've we're used to calling him abraham right and we do that normally because uh, it's a name that is more common nowadays and it's easier to say and probably because it's the one he ends up with so it's the one that sticks in our mind but abram was his name back in genesis 12 and god changed his name to abraham here now so somebody tell me name changes
0: in the bible what might be going on with a name change in the bible you don't allowed to talk, Misty. What do you think? So my question, could we, are you asking for
2: another example as to when a name has changed or the reason as to why?
1: Also, both. So, both. other examples might help us to find the reasons why you get name changes. So, <laughs> you think of any other examples? Yes,
2: sir. So,
1: Jacob. Right?
2: No, Israel. So sorry.
1: No, Israel, Israel what's called Jacob. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, very good. So, you've got Jacob to Israel,
0: Saul to Paul. Yeah,
1: very good, Saul to Paul. Thank you. Um, anybody else? Sarah, Sa- Sarai to Sarah. Yeah, um, Simon to Peter. Examples Simon to Peter. Yeah, very good, Mr. Vance. Thanks, Jonathan. Simon to Peter. Adoniah, uh, and
0: Azariah. Sorry, it's a- no. Oh, yeah, yeah, and Daniel.
1: Um, okay. you've got that da- Daniel, um, uh, shazar um and, and it's it's really interesting because because Daniel starts by saying his name is Daniel and then his name gets changed, and then he Daniel changes his name back at the end. <laughs> it's like, and my name is Daniel. Remind you, have you anybody seen The Matrix? Have you seen The Matrix? You seen the Matrix? Remember that bit where um uh Agent Smith keeps calling Neo Mr. Anderson? you remember that? And they're having that big fight towards the end of the first one. And um, Neo Neo, kind of win is right on the verge of kicking him in the chest and sending him flying down the tube station or whatever it is. And he says, remember what he says? He says, my name is Neo. Remember that? Just, just Google it or put it in, in YouTube. My name is Neo. And of course, you know, Neo is really significant in the movie because Neo is an uh, anagram of one, as in the one. Are you the one? And that, the whole thing is like, is he this messiah figure who's going to, help these humans to break out of the matrix and all this sort of stuff right so um in popular culture you have the same trope going on where your name really matters um i was teasing one of the not teasing i was sort of joking with one of the kids at the oaks tutorials last week uh, that um he reminds me of a young lad that i was at school with who we used to call muscles i don't know why we called him muscles um probably because he was like quite a little bit short and quite stocky and he was a good rugby player and I think this young man who I was talking to at the Oaks quite liked the idea of being called muscles because like if you could persuade all the girls to call you muscles it would be quite cool wouldn't it I don't know whether maybe that's a thing for 15 year old boys I don't know um but it's your name means something yeah um you shall call his name Jesus just because it's a nice name no you call his name Jesus because it means yeah yeah whoever saves the lord saves you should call him emmanuel because god is with us or god who is with us or the with us god right so names mean something and abram do you know what abram means oh my phone is buzzing and this is probably spam very good um not somebody outside abram means anybody know you, you put it in your
0: footnotes your bible yeah go on oh, so I haven't found out. you haven't found it yet Go on. Well, you got it right a- abraham means father of many um ab
1: like a b of means father so abram abram means uh, exalted father ram comes from the verb to lift up so you'll abram starts off as the exalted father but when god wants to say you're going to be the father of many nations he changes name to father of many. Raham means many or multitude.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's what's going on here. And you see it in verse five, no longer shall the name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. And then notice verse six. Well, what's, what's added in verse six? that You've not really seen, well, maybe you think you have seen it before, actually. What's different in verse six? Beg your pardon, Mrs. Fraser? Kings. Kings, yeah. Is
0: that is that a new thing? In the, the Abrahamic Covenant or not? Mentioned kings. Right. Not mention kings explicitly. What's the image that the Lord used before to try to emphasize to Abraham that he would have many descendants? Remember back in Genesis 15? Your descendants will be as numerous as what stars? Why stars? You can count them, or well, you can't count them. Good, So there's lots of them. That's one reason. Um, Genesis one. What are the what are the lights in the sky? Do I'm looking at the chat box here in case anybody's going to be. What's, what's this? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know they do this. Yeah, they shine, right?
2: They shine, they bleed. They
1: they shine, they twinkle. Right. But Genesis one, it doesn't say and let them twinkle.
0: (laughs) It doesn't say that.
1: (laughs) No, it doesn't say that at all. Genesis, look, Genesis one, you you know this. As soon as I say it, it'd be like, oh yeah, of course. Um, on the fourth day, um, God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night. They rule. That's right. You've got like one, two, three, four. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, John Henry and uh, Fraser and Liz and Evelyn. Mm-hmm. So stars from Genesis one onwards are, and then the sun and the moon actually are images of um, kingly and queenly power and authority. So when God says to Abraham, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the heavens, Genesis 15. Can you see what he's saying? There's like, there's a little hint there, not only about how numerically vast they're gonna be, um, loyal, like there's gazillions of them, but they're gonna have authority, they're gonna share in authority somehow. And of course, if you just trace that forward in scripture, you think um uh we reign with Christ, Ephesians one. Or you think of Daniel 7, where or the authority in the the vision uh, the, in the first half of Daniel seven, when the Ancient of Days, sorry, the Son of Man comes into the presence of the Ancient of Days, and he receives authority and power and the kingdom and so on. And then in the interpretation of the vision in the second half of Daniel seven, it's the, the people of the saints of the Most High who receive that authority. And Daniel seven is a vision of the kingdom of God. Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 match. Four-part statue, four beasts, yeah? Um, And we'll probably come to that when we think about the new covenant. So in that vision, you've got this idea of the Son of Man is going to receive authority from the ancient of days. Jesus is going to receive authority from God, his Father, first half of the chapter. Oh, and that authority is going to be given to and shared with and enjoyed by the people of the saints of the most high. the, The people of Christ share in his rule which of course we do we we are called to disciple the nations we are called to uh, declare the gospel and to live as citizens of the king and to take dominion over the world in a way which displays the the kindness and the goodness of the rule of god so you can see see how this works the the seed of abraham rule like stars and this is how it's expressed here i'm going to make you into nations and kings shall come from you now probably
0: Abraham would have thought here, not just, in fact, maybe he didn't think at all um, kings
1: in that sense, like the Ephesians 1, second half of Daniel 7 sense. The most obvious
0: thing for Abraham, I think, would be what? If he if God said to him, kings are going to come from you, what, what would he think? That was supposed to be an easy question it's too
2: obvious
0: (laughs) obvious, right like so somebody among
1: your children is actually going to have a crown and and do the king thing actually be the not just
0: singular plural kings Mm -hmm. so you've got nations and kings plural and think in the ancient world if a a king of a nation is uh, displaying faithfulness and obedience to the lord
1: and that nation itself has come from Abraham. You're, you're expecting to find nations which have a kind of coherence and integrity of their own. And as a nation, they follow the Lord. Christian nations, faithful nations, not just nations with faithful people in them. But nations organized and oriented towards the worship of the Lord, the God of Israel. Do you think so?
2: Oh, I was gonna say. Um, you said two king that it made me think of um, Esau. So Edom and Judah. So in Obadiah, it states yeah. that two two brothers are at war, mm-hmm. and that is Edom. Uh, Edom and Judah. Judah comes from um, the tribe of Israel, mm. and so. From Edom came Esau, and from Esau came Herod, and from Judah came Jacob, and from Jacob came mm-hmm. Jesus. So two right, kings. Yeah, yeah. I just saw that correlate.
1: That's right, yeah, yeah. And, and if, you, if you think about, we're at the stage now where we're starting to see so many different fragments of this biblical picture of what God is doing in history. They're all starting to come together. You can now start tracing these themes through scripture. So you think, okay, um, we thought about this last week first uh, kings 10 you've got a believing king Solomon but you've got all the other kings of all the nations who are coming and in different ways to different degrees paying homage to Solomon and paying homage to the Lord and saying wow that, how amazing your God must be that he's put you on the throne of Israel and all your people are so happy and everything Queen of Sheba um, there's the the, the uh, Hiram king of Tyre um in is it first kings four um all the other kings of the nations in first kings 10 who come and so what you're seeing there is again partial fulfillments of this promise
0: it's very interesting when you get to matthew 28 you just turn to matthew 28 for a second um and this is very um very famous text
1: you all know this very very well right at the end of matthew 28 you probably don't even need to turn to it, right? You know what's at the end of Matthew 28. End of Matthew 28 is the uh, so-called Great Commission. And let me read to you uh, what it actually says. Because you could easily imagine that it says something slightly different from what it says. Verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and disciple the nations. that's What it says: baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What your translation says, if it's like mine, is make disciples of all nations. Have you seen? Can you see that? What's yours say? Is something like that's that's the normal way it's it's um, translated, yes. and it and it's kind of it's interesting because it's ambiguous. In English, "make disciples of all nations" could be understood to mean you make disciples out of (laughs) some of the people in all the different nations. You with me? You know, go to England, make some disciples there. Go to Canada, make some disciples there. Go to Brazil, make some disciples there. Go to Ghana, make disciples there. So you've made disciples of all nations, and they're all together, and we've got people from all the different nations. That's how it's almost always understood and it's not what the text says there are three different ways you could say that in Greek um there are three different prepositions you could use and this doesn't use any of them it just says literally disciple all the nations the idea is not that you've got a nation with a bunch of
0: Christians in it the idea is you've got a nation that's Christian can you see the difference You can have a nation that's Christian if you've got a Christian king, or Christian president, or a Christian
1: Congress, or a Christian whatever form of government exists. I don't, I don't think Genesis 17 is saying monarchy is the best form of government or anything. I I don't actually think it is, but um, not necessarily. But um, it it might beat some alternatives. But anyway, um, uh, you can you can see the difference though. What it's anticipating then is that the gospel will not just shape individual people's lives. It's not that there's these kind of neutral political structures within which lots of people make a decision to follow Jesus. What you'd have is a political structure which is itself oriented towards the worship of Jesus Christ. It wouldn't follow from that that other religions are illegal, but it would follow from that that the king is a believer and that he's thinking okay how do i order my affairs and do my job so that jesus is honored yeah can you see and all that is right there in genesis 17 kings are going to come from you you're starting to see i hope you're starting to see um lots of little threads being laid down which if you pull on them it's like pulling on those weeds in your lawn, where you you know you pull here, and suddenly you're pulling on this massive, great big thing which has grown through. You have, you've got weeds like that in your lawn. I've got weeds like that all over my backyard. Um, or you put on a thread on a, a knitted sweater, and you pull on it, and suddenly the entire sleeve is unpicked. Right? That's that's um that's what's happening with all these themes. Yeah? So that's um, first six verses. Does that make any sense? Are you with me? Now. My temptation is I want to go all the way down that rabbit trail because that opens up um, a discipline known as um, political theology, which is the, the project of trying to work out how exactly a king or civil ruler, to use the New Testament term, how exactly a civil magistrate ought to honour Jesus in the way he or she does his job or her job. Um, that's a complicated question. But the idea that they ought to honor Jesus is not complicated. Right? That's simple. How they do it, not so straightforward, but, but in principle, that's what it ought to be done. No. So let's um keep going through Genesis 17. Now look at verses seven and eight. And you've heard me talk about this lots of times before, because it's very, very important. Um forgive me for saying everything's important tonight, but you know, Abraham's important. So there we are. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, no surprise,
0: and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God
1: to you and to your offspring after you. You Notice every time he says to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings or the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. So it's everlasting. It's you and your offspring, literally your
0: seed and to your seed. And then this epic final line. uh, What you're expecting it to say is, well,
1: it says I will be their God. It would make more sense if, if it said, and I will be God to you and to them. Because it's been you and your offspring, you and your offspring, you and your offspring. I'll be God to you and to them. But by the end of verse eight, it's not about you, Abraham. It's a it's a beautiful piece of narrative, actually, because what happens is that Abraham just recedes into the background, like an aging grandfather who reaches the the twilight years of his life and then passes away, and God is still going to be their god it's not about you abraham
0: it's the next generation and god is still god to them so abraham is now dead that we noticed but god is still god to abraham's offspring and this
1: promise to the offspring is is something which i'm going to come back to in a minute or two um because one of the question is one of the questions is okay well who exactly is involved like who's involved initially um who's involved who are the offspring and that's a kind of tough question but we should come to that but just notice one other thing um verses nine through 14 i won't read all of it but we'll read the first couple of verses and then one to two verses from later god said to abraham as for you you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations remember it's not just your generation it's them this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you and what you're expecting okay this is the covenant this is a relationship this is how it's going to work what you might be expecting is some kind of summary of ethical instruction Like this is the relationship you've got to love the lord your god right like in a marriage um there's a promise on both parties to love one another and and a bunch of other stuff as well so this is my
0: covenant and what does he say every male among you shall be circumcised what (laughs) the sign of circumcision which obviously is a little bit of um surgery performed on boys only is the relationship just let that sink in for a second well what the lord is doing is he's he's saying
1: up to now you might have thought that what you've got is there's this relationship between Mm -hmm. me and you yeah and that's really important and here's a sign that will symbolize it that will help you to understand aspects of it and to remember it and to to demonstrate your faith in it but you've got the relationship and then you've got the sign and they're basically, they're, they're separate. You've got this, and it's symbolized by this. And at this point, you realize your sacramental theology
0: is wrong. Because what this text says is it's like that. The sign and the covenant are the same thing. It is an absolutely astonishing thing to say. I'll put it in more technical terms. The
1: the relationship that Abraham and his offspring have with the Lord from this point on is so closely intertwined with the sign that you can't have one without the
0: other. And it, it goes on to say it. Um, verse 11 is, you know, this is how you shall do it. Verse
1: 12, eight days old, every male. Interestingly, we'll come to the second half of verse 12 in a second, because it tells you who exactly. Um, verse 14 any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant doesn't say any uncircumcised male who nonetheless has faith in his heart is still part of the covenant
0: it's a it is breathtakingly strong um, old covenant sacrament
1: theology old covenant sacramental theology the sign and the covenant are like this got the one got the other now you might be a covenant breaker you know uh, raised faithfully circumcised in the eighth day and then apostatized that's possible but what you can't do uh, the lord says to Abraham, is to think well it's okay i I love yahweh in my heart i don't need to do this no you can't do that and one of the places you discover that is
0: in the early chapters of exodus with um uh, you remember with Moses and um, uh, his uh, child. If you look in um, uh, Exodus 4. M- Moses
1: has been called about the burning bush thing. He's had his you know years in Midian and all that kind of stuff.
0: He comes back to Egypt. And um, they're up at a lodging place, Exodus 4.24. at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Like, what?
1: Are you kidding? Uh, why, Lord, why are you about to put to death the saviour of Israel and therefore the one who is going to lead your
0: people in saving the world? What, like, what's such a big deal? What's he done? The answer is, he's not circumcised his child. You've, you've broken the covenant and your child has broken the covenant because you've not given them the sign.
1: But he says, then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. Presumably that's some gesture by virtue of which she's seeking to uh, credit Moses with
0: having done that action which he's neglected. So he, the Lord, let him alone. It's like, well, that was close. So this is going to be a challenge for us because we,
1: when we are working this through into how um, new covenant rituals work, we're going to have to find a way of articulating a doctrine of new covenant signs that honors this kind of high view of the rituals. It's not going to be enough for us to say baptism and the Lord's Supper are kind of useful but dispensable symbols unless somewhere later in scripture it tells us that if later in scripture it says this has changed then that's fine but on the assumption that we're building up a single coherent picture here if we don't have a scriptural text that that tells us baptism is kind of
0: dispensable baptism is not dispensable now And I realize that raises all kinds of practical concerns and questions, which
1: we'll come to. Don't worry. Uh, And um, I can short circuit to an answer which will probably alleviate some of your anxieties. Um, Thief on the cross was never baptized, but Jesus said that he'd be with him in paradise. Baptism doesn't have the kind of necessity that means there is absolutely no possibility of salvation without it. But we do need to honor and privilege sacramental signs in the kind of way that
0: scripture does. And here, this is a very significant moment for that. Okay, so many nations, change of name,
1: um, offspring included, um, and the sign and the covenant are not like this. They're more like this. Now, I've got a few other texts I want to, to throw at you, and I've got some uh, practical implications of this but let's just pause for a second and and see if there's any questions because there may be one or two out of play already um, feel free to uh stick a paw in the air or just turn off your mute and
0: ask any questions And anybody here
2: i think you brought up the the um, thief on the cross yeah in fact he wasn't baptized. i am going the other way of
0: thinking of my brain. all the
2: people that were baptized as children right right, right. or even as adults
1: And didn't
2: necessarily say, "I reject Christianity," but didn't live.
1: Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is really helpful. So let me just repeat the question, so everyone here has got it. Um, We, we, I mentioned the thief on the cross. So um, didn't have the sacramental sign, but was nonetheless saved. Okay, great let's not generalize him and make him a paradigm for everybody but let's realize the lord is gracious the lord the lord can save unborn children who aren't baptized or six-day-old children Uh, and i'm again this is short-circuiting to where we'll get to when we in a few weeks time but i'm with calvin who said who's against emergency baptisms Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so in the medieval church and before um childbirth was a riskier procedure than it is today and it was not uncommon for children to be in mortal danger shortly after birth and there was a there was a feeling among some um faithful christians that it was baptism is so important that if the child looks like he or she might tragically die shortly after birth you should go and get a priest or a pastor to baptize the child calvin's like no you don't don't need emergency baptisms go get a doctor um uh, but Calvin has a pretty high octane doctrine of baptism, and it's and this is the kind of reason. But now, then the other other side of it is, well, yeah, what about all these people who do receive the sign, but then turn away from following the Lord? And it's this I want to think about because um, let, let's let's leave aside baptism for a second and and the contemporary world. Let's just think about the Old Testament scenario with this sign that Abraham's been given. There are basically two mistakes you can make, aren't there? If, if, if the covenant sign and covenant relationship are like this, they're supposed to go together, you could neglect the sign
0: like Moses did, and whew, that was close. Or you could neglect the covenant relationship and covenant faithfulness now what's the biggest risk just think about old covenant israel what you know about um old covenant israel and especially in the days
1: of jesus i mean this is many hundreds of years later obviously do you think they were in great danger of neglecting the sign. I mean, they're always on about how we are the circumcision, and um, that distinctive sign of Israelite identity was really, really significant for them. They were all down with the sign, right? That was a source of pride to the people of Israel. The problem was not that they'd neglected the sign, but they'd neglected faithfulness. And I think it's fascinating because um, in our particular small corner of the reformed world where we tend to go with this stuff from genesis 17 and exodus 4 is to say you see all those christian denominations out there who don't take the sacraments seriously enough don't take the signs of the covenant seriously enough what a tragedy it is when churches don't celebrate the lord's supper very often or where they don't baptize their babies you know and i want to say yeah that's that's a real shame it's a crying shame that the lord's supper isn't being celebrated every lord's day it's a crying shame by every church in the country every church in the world but we've got a problem on our own doorstep which which causes that to pale into complete insignificance where we have
0: gazillions of baptized kids who aren't brought up faithfully and that's israel's problem there's you could you could be um, slack about the sign and overlook the
1: importance of the signs. That's a mistake. But you could also overlook the importance of faithful covenant nurture, the importance of the relationship and presumption. In other words, uh, we've got the temple of the Lord. We're the people of God. We're circumcised. Abraham is our father. How dare you question us? You know. <laughs>
0: I, I think this is a, um, the idea of presumptuousness is more of a danger to us. Um,
1: so that's where this really, um, that, that's why Israel went off the rails. Not many people in Israel seem to have made Moses' mistake
0: of neglecting the sign for their kids, but loads of them um, made the mistake of just presumptuousness. You know, we, we, we've got special people. We've got the temple of the Lord. Um, and that, that attitude persists all the way down to the days of Jesus. So, There's a question here from Pastor Shaw, which is a really interesting one. I don't want to jump onto it uh, too quickly if you're moving away from the topic we're
1: thinking about. Um, does that, some of you guys who are sitting there looking at me, is there anything you want to follow up on with that question, that set of questions about um, the implications for faithfully raising
0: the children of the covenant? Does it raise any questions for you? Or shall I pick up Pastor Shaw's question? Okay. Well, look, we can come back to that if you want to. Um, in one sense, we talk about this
1: a huge amount because a, a large amount of the practical um, teaching on discipleship that you hear from Pastor Neil and that you will hear from Pastor Shaw and from me is about, you know, parents raising their kids and, and young people not presuming upon the Lord. Um, I, I tell you, I think we have a challenge in our denomination in the next five to ten years or so because what's what's happening in the CREC is you've got a lot of churches that were all started up around the same kind of time early 2000s in which the you had parents who were really really enthusiastic about this rediscovery of deep rich sacramental calvinist reformed theology and i Brought my family 5,000 miles to serve in a church that embraces this, and I was already in one in England that did this. Right, you can imagine how enthusiastic I am about this. Uh, so, all these families like that, and now what's happened is 20 years later, all those kids have grown up, and now they're your age, Providence You're 18, 19, 18. So, you were like a wee nipper when this church was started. Um, the CREC celebrates its 25th anniversary this year. Let me tell you which direction this could go if it all goes off the rails. We could have a generation of young men and women who are your age, whose parents were founding family members in early CREC churches. And you guys grow up to presume upon the sacraments, the signs that you've been given. Actually, what you need to do is, it's like every generation back to basics. It's um, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind strength, and you never get beyond it, you. You go deeper into the um, your understanding of the ways of the Lord. You want to build on what your parents have taught you, but you never move on from trusting in Jesus and repentance and faith and daily devotion to Him and faithfulness in your lives with your wives, husbands, children. Are you with me? Those things are really, really. Important, And I think we've got a challenge as a a denomination, probably, which will be a kind of slow burn, hopefully, God have mercy on this, it will be a, a wonderful, slow, gradual transition as young men and women grow from 18, 20, 25, 30, and they sort of take the reins of, I'm not thinking about formal leadership, but they start to become the role models to the next generation. Yeah? that your parents sought to be for you. It's a wonderful opportunity, but boy, could this go sideways. Um, So I I think this really matters. Now, Pastor Shaw, earlier you said the sign signifies something at the risk of being too graphic. Can you speak to what circumcision actually signifies? Um, Yeah, it's um,
0: cutting off. It signifies the curse for covenant breaking. Blood shed um separation being cast away um
1: and it's no surprise therefore that you've got the word play in um genesis 17 14 any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be
0: cut off you'll be cut off one way or the other not to be too graphic Uh, i think that probably is enough on that and of course,
1: that's one of the wonderful transitions into the new covenant, where the covenant signs of the new covenant symbolize the blessings for faithfulness, food, and water, rather than the curses for unfaithfulness. There's a there's an inverse relationship there. Okay.
0: Um, so who exactly was included in the Abrahamic covenant sign? Men, yes. So there's something there about um
1: the responsibility of men to represent their families yeah okay it doesn't mean that women weren't saved under the old covenant or anything silly like that there's something rather about the uh, the place that men have in in leading and representing their wives and
0: children okay um notice verse 12 uh, he, he who is eight days old every male throughout your generations whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring? So somebody tell me, um, oh, there's a couple of questions coming I'll come back to those in a minute too. Um, thank you for those questions. Um, how many people would have been circumcised in Genesis 17? You know, it says, verse twenty six, that very day Abraham and his son Ishmael. Verse twenty seven, all the men of his house. How many? Anybody know? Well, let's see some answers in the chat. Three thousand? No, not that many. <laughs> A lot. Uh, yeah, where have you got that number from, Misty?
2: 14 verse
0: 14. Right. Um, Genesis 14, 14. I, we actually don't know the exact number because he might have bought
1: some others and they might have had children and he might some of those, these might have left his service or died. But in Genesis 14, 14, 318 trained men born in his house were part of his own private army when he went to rescue Lot.
0: Um I guess 3,000. Yeah, it could have been. I mean, 300, okay. All right. Um, if we're to assume that
1: you've got the same number in Genesis 17, there are 320 people circumcised, of whom two are from Abraham's biological family, Abraham and Ishmael.
0: The other 300 and something are from outside the biological line. No, it could have been more than that. It's unlikely to be many less than that. The reason for highlighting this
1: is to try and dispel a- another misunderstanding that will be lingering in your minds, and I know it's ling- lingering in your minds because it's always lingering in all our minds. We think of old covenant as ethnic, biological Israel, new covenant, um, all nations, Gentiles, with some justification. Because there is that geographic change and delocalization from Israel and the temple and so on. But we must absolutely banish forever the idea that in the Old Testament, God's interested in saving people through biology and natural descent. And in the New Covenant, he suddenly becomes interested in the Gentiles right from the beginning. But like you've got less than one percent true born Abrahamites. And presume, I don't know what actually happened, but to the offspring of these servants born in Abraham's household, but there's no reason why they wouldn't have been included in the community somehow as and gradually been incorporated into or married into the offspring and uh, the grandchildren of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes. You, The idea of like pure blood Abrahamites is a complete historical fiction scary huh but it's all over the place in our thinking about old covenant israel so just sow that
0: seed for you thinking later all right um fine should we look at genesis 22 briefly i've got a couple of these other questions let me have a look (laughs) yeah i'm just gonna check these Yeah, yeah uh deuteronomy
1: 10 16 yes it's supposed to be uh, the, the image of circumcision is used in that way to to uh, circumcised of heart as opposed to stiff necked and stubborn. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, new covenant lacking in bloodshed, but rather involving water. Well, it's interesting that this there is a, there is a new covenant sign cellular nan that does involve bloodshed.
0: But it's somebody else's blood, right? It's the, it's the covenant sign of the wine, which then combines
1: the bitterness of Christ's shed blood. This is the blood of Christ. It combines that with the idea of the cup of celebration and blessing, which was familiar to the historic Passover rituals and so on and so forth. So, But there is
0: bloodshed, actually. It's just not your blood. So, yeah, good spot. Well done. Um, all right. Let's just look briefly at Genesis 20 looking at my watch here yeah we've got loads of time got about half an hour right i'm joking joking. (laughs) (laughs) so uh, where are we gonna go with this all right uh you know what's going on in genesis 22 uh, god has given to abraham this long promised son uh, isaac
1: and genesis 22 verse 1 After these things, God tested Abraham, did he ever, and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, take your son, rubs it in now, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah
0: and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Um which doesn't immediately strike you as a brilliant idea does it you've just been you've been told that through isaac your offspring is going to be reckoned um and they told to you know chop him in pieces and set him on fire
1: and you know where the land of moriah is the the, the word moriah appears in scripture only one of the time it's in second um, chronicles 3 verse 1 it's the location of the temple in the days of solomon So you've clearly got something going on here. Go and offer your son as a sacrifice. Come on. At the place where I'm going to build a temple in a few hundred years time. You see where this is going. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men
0: with him. And he's got this wonderful drama. Um, He cut the wood. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar.
1: And then he said to his young man, you guys stay here. I'm going to go off with a boy and worship and come back again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, uh, Dad, and here I am. Look, here's the fire and the wood. But where will the lamb, where, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And God, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And they both
0: went on together. And obviously, it's you, you just, just worth
1: trying to imagine what's in Abraham's mind at this point. Actually, later in Scripture, we discover what was in Abraham's mind. If you turn to the New Testament, I've got my teensy-weensy Bible here, which I was talking about last Sunday. I can't hardly read
0: it. Um, turn to Hebrews 11. Um Remember I said before about believing,
1: faith means it's not believing what you know isn't true, but sometimes uh, faith means uh, believing something which, if it's true, God is going to have to do a miracle here. God is going to have to do something that is not normal. God is going to have to do something that we wouldn't expect. God is
0: going to have to do something which is extraordinary. Hebrews 11, um, verse 17. This is the the wonderful by faith chapter.
1: Talking about, you know, the landscape of faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, Genesis 22, one offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named so why did he do this what what was going through his head he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back so the author of Hebrews just that's a, a commentary on Genesis 22 we know what was in Abraham's mind because the author of Hebrews tells us he believed in the resurrection he believed that God must be able to bring this kid back to life again. I'm about to kill him, and so God must be able to raise the dead,
0: which, of course, adds some extra colour to the beginning of Genesis twenty two four. What day was it? You go to Genesis twenty two four. It's on the third day. <laughs> Abraham on the third day believing in the resurrection of the dead can you start to see right this is
1: this is not I, I, this is how scripture blows my mind really this is not some random assortment of disparate contradictory fragments of ancient literature cobbled together into a book in a way that they don't really fit this is a single coherent theologically rich and historically connected narrative of what god is doing that is designed to show us about our relationship with him so our forefather abraham had a third day i believe in the resurrection of the body experience right anyway and you know what happened it's fairly dramatic the angel of the lord says stop just right about here and there's there's lots of paintings some really good paintings of that moment if you go google um uh the sacrifice of isaac or the not quite sacrifice of isaac and then um verse 11 the angel of the lord called to him from heaven and said abraham abraham here i am he said don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now i know that you fear god seeing that you've not withheld your son your only son from me the echoing verse one or verse two sorry take your son your only son And then the Lord provides the ram. So for those who believe in the resurrection, the Lord will provide a sacrificial animal, a sacrificial ram
0: on Mount Moriah to take the place of the son of the promise. Hmm. And then you have a, um, a restatement
1: of the covenant from verse 15. The angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this and not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. So that's like um, Joseph 15, stars, sand on the seashore. Um, Again, I mean, there's lots of sand, right? But also
0: probably sand from the ground like Adam was made from the ground. Um, uh, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies.
1: Again, that's a that's a conquest theme. Kingly possess the gate of your enemies. The gate of the gate is like the courtroom and the civic center. It's where all the um, civil decisions where the judges would sit and so on and so forth. It's why Boaz went to the elders in the gate and the, the husband of the Proverbs 31 wife um, sits among the elders in the gate because he's a respectable man. Now he's got such a wonderful wife. And in you, your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice.
0: Do you notice anything different about that? Who gets blessed in Genesis twenty-two eighteen? 18? It's different from Genesis 12. Genesis 12, I'm going to check the Hebrew. I'll make sure I've got it right, but I'm pretty sure I have. All the nations. Yeah. Uh, all the, it's, um. hold on.
1: It's all the nations of the earth. In Genesis 12, 3, it's all of the, it's literally tribes, of the ground or tribes of the land. So that both words change. In Genesis 12, it's tribes, which are kind of small communities, and Adma, it's the ground. Um, It can mean land, it can mean ground, but all these small communities, Abraham, you know, surrounded by this tribe and that tribe, and all these tribes can be blessed in you. By the time you get to Genesis 22, It's nations and it's earth. There's an expansion, can you see, in keeping with the promise of Genesis 17, because kings are going to come from you. And it happens because of Abraham's faithfulness. Abraham is the uh, paradigm of faith and faithfulness. You've heard me talk in the last few weeks about faith and faithfulness um, in in 2 Thessalonians, yeah? Well, it's the same here. So Abraham had to actually believe in his heart. He had to be convinced deep, deep down. There's an emotional and cognitive element
0: to faith. And then he had to do it. He had to live out that commitment and display
1: allegiance. He didn't just believe in his heart that God would raise Isaac from the dead. He had the knife, like... foot and a half from the kid's chest and it was traveling downwards and then he he got stopped so it's faith faithfulness is what abraham
0: displayed and because of that god is going to keep his promise which is it, it keeps hand in hand doesn't it the absolute commitment of the lord genesis 15 and the faithfulness that god graciously grants to abraham that to fulfill what's required of him which takes us to on my watch three minutes past the end of
1: our finish time which is normally when we finish um it's becoming a habit long since become a habit um i think we should pray Uh, We've got a couple of questions here, which um, we could pick up, but I think it's best for us to stop so that if, uh, I know we've we've done all those. If you want to stick around afterwards, I'm happy to, but let me lead us in prayer now um, just to pray about a couple of these practical things. So if you want to go, you can do so with a a clear conscience. And if you want to stick around longer, you can. So let's pray together, shall we? Father, we're thankful to you for one another, for this time you've blessed us with. And we ask that you would continue to work in us so that we trust your word and your
0: ways, as our father Abraham did. We are grateful to you for your commitment to him,
1: which has, so to speak, propagated down through the generations and across the millennia, so that we are sons and daughters of Abraham by faith in Christ. And we're thankful to you for those privileges of relationship with you. Teach us to walk in faithfulness, we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. Um wonderful to see you all. And I'm very sure that most of you will have to go. I'm going to stick around just for a couple of minutes just to see if anybody else does want to um raise any questions that uh, are burning in your heart. Um and uh I don't know whether the those and Miss Duke need to go. If you do then please feel free to do feel free you have to stay but any any final questions big waves bye everybody but if you have any final questions turn your mics off and um hit me and then we can chat some more
2: hey pastor jeffrey it's nan hey nan uh so where did where did baptism even start because it dawned on me as i was thinking through the signs that john starts baptizing people mm-hmm. and then jesus shows up to be baptized but but when, why did John start baptizing people, and why wasn't he, you know, doing the whole circumcision thing?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm skipping over a lot of connections there. So, uh, but there's a couple of points to to um, be aware of. The first is um, baptism in the sense of just a ceremonial washing was sort of familiar under the older covenants. Uh, Not really for washing people very often, although it was occasionally done. But certainly in the Old Testament, washing things. Um, But really, in the New Testament, this is the second point. It's seen as the fulfillment of the water crossings. So the crossing of the River Jordan. The crossing of the Red Sea. And that's in um, 1 Corinthians 10 um it's also seen as the fulfillment of the flood in the days of noah first peter three uh in fact first corinthians 10 uh, says that the israelites were baptized in the cloud and in the sea and that cloud was the glory cloud of the presence of the lord and i've got to tell you this is something that um soon to be pastor zach parker pointed out yesterday he had his exam as uh, a um to, for, for ordination in the CREC. and he's going to be one uh, the assistant pastor at the Church of the Redeemer in Monroe, Louisiana, after having absolutely aced that exam yesterday. Um, uh, he was he's just quality that young man. Well, he's not that young; he's thirty something. But um, uh, anyway, but he just he pointed out, look in Scripture, you've got waters above and waters below in Genesis one, and the Israelites are baptized in both. The waters below, the Red Sea, and the waters above, the cloud. That's such a good point. Um, and so it's got me thinking again about um, why that's significant. But um, I think we're to think of it in, like in this the, the spatial symbolism of Genesis 1 is the water above in the, the heavenly heavens where God dwells is kind of manifested physically in the form of the cloud in the wilderness. And the people of Israel are baptized, quote unquote, in that. And so our Christian baptism scoops together all those threads. Um, and that's where a, a lot of the significance comes from. Now, where, where did the ritual actually emerge from historically? Yeah, it was just a it's it had been a symbol of um cleansing in lots of different contexts for a long time, and John the Baptist picks it up but the, the theological meaning is attached to it in in some of those ways. We will talk more about that. I was going to talk about it tonight, but there was no way we were going to have time and I didn't want to do a third session on Abraham. You'd think we're never going to get off Abraham. It's supposed to be an eschatology series and here we are stuck in Genesis still. Um, but yeah, so some of those things now. Thank you.
0: All right. Any other final questions or comments before we let you all go? Vrazos and Emma, anything?
2: I do, but it's not, not a short answer. But Go on, then. Well, I have a,
0: yeah, let's see the if
2: we... to circumcise all those in his
0: mm-hmm. what about faith. Like, they may have been in this community, but where the, the faith
2: comes yeah in. And then if we transfer that over to baptism, you know, you um, know, um, Come and be baptized, in all in my family. Right, I will baptize in all my family, for all my household. It seems to me that there's a separation, possibly, between baptism and circumcision
1: and actual faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. So let me repeat the question, uh, so that everyone here can get it, because I think this mic doesn't work so well. Um, What, what place did faith have for? all those 318 or whatever presumably many of them grown men in abraham's household didn't it matter maybe they didn't want to worship yahweh maybe they wanted to worship somebody else um doesn't faith matter at all is there not a separation then between the sign and the covenant commitment because the sign sort of presupposes faith well a couple of thoughts um first i just in general let's not be so quick to assume that people who don't display normal signs of adult faith don't have it i'm going to argue when we get to it uh, maybe not in this series but at some point that um we are to presume that children of christian homes brought for baptism are baby believers and pastor neil has talked about that um psalm 22 9 and 10 for example is David talking about being an infant and believing? So there's just a little kind of footnote there. But it, in Genesis, I think I want to flip it around and, and suppose we put the in, instead of asking the question, what about their religious choice? And maybe they would like to worship some other God. Why don't we put the question another way and say, um, what conceivable reason
0: would those men have? or wanting to worship any God but the Lord, that God had appeared to Abraham, Abraham, their master,
1: their boss. God had already been at work in and through them, not among other things in Genesis 14, with that battle they all participated in. They had seen their masters growing
0: faith and faithfulness through many many years i I'd, I'd want to say look it's surely it's inconceivable that they would want to have any other god but the Lord,
1: and the fact that that seems to be assumed gives us ground to think that's exactly right now i i don't think i would go from that in the direction that some people have where they've said look various times in the early middle ages if a king was baptized all of his subjects were baptized like automatically we become a christian nation I, i don't think that's what's meant by a christian nation i don't think it's quite right but i actually think it's probably closer than the alternative assumption like if if you're a king and you're living in a culture where um personal autonomy has not attained the godlike status that we now assume it has why wouldn't you assume that well this gracious greater king jesus who's welcomed me i want all my um illiterate um, subjects to participate in this blessing as well but i mean why why wouldn't you assume that i don't think it's quite right But I think it's probably closer to the truth and saying of course I wouldn't want to impose upon anybody." you worship whichever god you want you know it's an interest I think it's a slightly post-enlightenment question really the kind of what about religious liberty what about individual autonomy what about freedom of choice Mm, it's not that scripture doesn't point in that direction but I think scripture also encourages us to make assumptions
0: About what would be the only sane thing you'd want to do? And in, in effect, those men could choose not to follow the Lord. They could just walk away from Abraham. I
1: mean, and if they refuse to be circumcised, that's what they're saying. I mean, anybody who's not is cut off from my people. You're not part of the family of Abraham. Maybe that's where the choice
0: operates. But I find it interesting that Genesis 17 just it doesn't even entertain explicitly the prospect that any of them would refuse. Like,
1: why would you not want to worship Jesus?
0: And, w- and when you're raising your
1: children, and I'm speaking here to a lady who's raised a few, right? You know, you don't get to sort of 17 or 18 or 19 like Providence is now say okay, no, you've really got to decide. But maybe you don't want to worship Jesus, you know. You're a big boy. You know, you might you know maybe, maybe you know, secularism is better, <laughs> you know, you, you, that's not what you say, and you, you you admit the theoretical possibility that we all do, and the tragic possibility that any young person could grow up and walk away from the law, but we don't sort of say, come on kids, you should think about it." <laughs> you know, we we make assumptions and we, we raise our children
0: in ways that we think are best, and I don't think it would be um, uh, Wrong to do that. Um, I, I don't think that's
1: the same as saying you should impose it, and, and I don't think there's any indication here that you would. I don't think that would be right. There's a question here which might be uh, uh, illuminating: for this. wouldn't Abraham? This is Evelyn. Wouldn't Abraham have been responsible to disciple his own tribe, nation first, and teach them about the covenants that they received the sign off? Sorry, and to teach them about the covenant that they had received the sign off. Yeah, I think so, actually. And that's a really helpful way of putting it. Um, It goes further than what I said before. Because maybe, yeah, maybe you're right, Evelyn. Maybe we are to make the additional assumption
0: that um, what faithful Abraham would have done in those 14 years would have included
1: trying to help his staff to understand why he was still being faithful to the Lord, even though the Lord hadn't come good on his promise of a son yet so he, maybe that's what he's supposed to have
0: done maybe that's what he did I don't know but those 14 years or so would have been a long time and um, would have felt like a long time sorry and
1: uh, would have given plenty of opportun- natural opportunity for people to draw their own conclusions um, so yeah maybe maybe that's right and in, in one sense, I think I'm trying to answer this question slightly artificially by restricting it to Abraham, because actually, within a broader context, you do want to say exactly that. You want to say that the sign goes along
0: with the discipleship. Like, why are we being circumcised, Abraham? Like, yeah, I, po- I probably need to explain. Then I okay. There's
1: this God, right? <laughs> <laughs> and etc. So, tried to kill my son. Yeah,
2: yeah, and. and
1: um so that would be a natural part of it in this kind of large but not unmanageable community so i think that's probably all right it's half past
0: eight i think the storm has probably passed we should probably go right shouldn't we any more questions all right thank you no problem um lovely to see you all i'm going to end recording now hold on yep